Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, January 2nd, 2023. On the show today, news and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim celebrates the classic Epcot attraction, World of Motion, which closed on this day back in 1996. Let's get started by bringing in the man who blames his supply chain problems on kids in Georgia not appreciating a shiny fiddle made of gold. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's so weird you say this because for years, every Christmas, Nate and I would go down to visit her family in Carnesville, Georgia. And and yes, the children there just, come on, all, all I'm asking for is your soul. <laughs> Relatively small exchange. Come on, kid. <laughs> You're not using it. We know it. You know it. That's I know right, it. Exactly. Know. Exactly. And they aren't kidding about the good Georgia clay down there, the bright red Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Red, red, red clay. Yeah, you can't get it off of clothes either. No, that's exactly it. You'd be in Jersey, you know, coming back up and like, been to Georgia? Yes, shut up. <laughs> Same thing in North Carolina. All right, fit that. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at Disney Dish. Mm-hmm. DrBandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Josh Prisman, mm-hmm. Joshua Ware, John Hernandez, and Sassfraz. And longtime subscribers Dan SYR2514, Christopher Shaw, and Justin Homers. Jim. These are the chefs testing out a dining car on the newly reopened Walt Disney World Railroad in the Magic Kingdom. So far this week, their menu has included baked ham, seasonal fish, and prime rib with dinner rolls and chef salad, plus lemon chiffon pie with graham cracker crust for dessert. True story. This now explains why Chrissy was on the very first train. That's right. I want to say that morning, you know, the phone went ping and here's the image of your sister on the train. She was super excited. Yeah, she, um, so our own Christina went, uh, was one of the first people to ride on the Walt Disney World Railroad mm-hmm. train when it opened, but she was trying to hold her phone up mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the section that now includes the new Tron audio. Oh. And between all the people screaming and the Tron audio, I, I couldn't understand what she was doing. So she ended up having to ride around a few times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like she was, like she was trying to record the entire uh, entire thing for me. I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll be there next week. <laughs> I'm, I'm there for a month. We'll we'll ride it all we want. <laughs> okay, uh, Chrissy is such a good egg. Okay, yeah, love your sister. Love what she does for for both touring plans and us here on the show. So yeah, she does uh, she does fantastic work. In fact, she's in the uh, the parks uh, starting tomorrow, testing out some new features. But before we do that, Jim, let's do the news intro. Okay. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, we mentioned that the railroad has opened. Mm-hmm. It was closed for more than four years, and now it is reopened. I do have one story that I got from a friend who's in the roundhouse, and again, four years of maintenance, you know, basic, complete mm-hmm. teardown on these trains, complete rebuild. Evidently, at least on one of the trains, maybe they were a little casual with the blueprints. Because <laughs> evidently, once they completed the length of track that went through the tunnel at yeah. uh, 
a Tron every train had to go through to make sure that the clearance issues and I'm trying to find out which train it was that the smokestack was an eighth of an inch too tall <laughs> it's that exact really yeah and it was just evidently the folks they sent it off to to do the metal works on the rim of the smokestack and it just it, you know they were so happy to be working on a Disney train that you know they little extra filigree you know, little little yeah. more ornamentation and ding as it went into the tunnel so <sighs> again I had to go you know, back Jim is a software developer let me just say that the number of times where I've thought to myself uh, when am I ever going to do this again? Yeah. And it's fine the way it is. Mm-hmm. Is It's basically a daily occurrence. So I understand that. By the way, did, I don't think we talked about this on the show, but mm-hmm. I got photos, and I think you did too, mm-hmm. of the people who actually disassembled the trains. Yeah. And uh, we, we haven't talked about it because it, you know, was, it was going on and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But when you say that they, they stripped it down, they broke everything down to its component parts. They did. To where the actual engines themselves mm-hmm. looked like a bunch of steel <laughs> rods. <laughs> <laughs> with nothing are they like they took the boiler off they took it was it it looked like high school gym seating uh skeletons at one point you're like that's a railroad train they're like that's it well, like, yeah, we're, we took it apart. I don't know if you, you got the same caption to the set of photos that I got, but it just came with, with the three words, some assembly required. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, this is the worst Lego kit ever. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So. Yeah, but but it's done and it's back, so that's great. It is, it is, and you know, and again with, with that, that minor ding on the one like, smokestack of the one train, evidently, get it performed flawlessly. So great to have it back up and running. So yeah, and Jim, uh, speaking of things that I didn't think would ever happen, mm-hmm. James Cameron's film Avatar: The Way of Water was actually released into theaters during the Christmas break. Jim, mm-hmm. I had running bets with 100 people mm-hmm. that this would never happen, and apparently it uh, it did. And it's doing fairly well, I guess. Yes. Uh, in fact, as of yesterday, it has crossed the $1 billion in worldwide ticket sales threshold. Now, folks at the studio are like, that's terrific. <laughs> but from where it, we're it sitting... It costs a billion dollars to make, so... <laughs> well, no, that's it exactly. That, you know, will actually be in profit when it, it crosses the $2 billion, you know, the threshold. So a great start. You know, again, only been in theaters for what ten days at this point. It's the second weekend. Just, uh, just, just coming. I, I did notice that uh, something in the New York Times this morning that said it's not doing well in China. Mm-hmm. How does that? Uh, how does? Well, I mean, and there's a lot going on in China well, that, right now. That's so it exactly. I kind of like, people, people might not want to be in, in indoors in China right now, no. which I, I kind of get. But do you no. think that that's going to hurt its chances of being one of the? top three grossing films of all time. Yeah. Well, it's been a long time since any U.S. films have been allowed in China. It is interesting. Mm. It's kind of a one-two punch in that Avatar The Way of Water was allowed to be released to Chinese theaters, but also Puss in Boots, The Last Witch, made it in. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two films do over there. But yeah, they, they were really counting on it doing big in China. And it just it arrived in this window where you know suddenly the whole zero protocols have been dropped and Things are getting really interesting over there. So, mm. yeah. yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And Jim, speaking of opening things, mm-hmm. uh, we have an opening date now for Super Nintendo World at mm-hmm. Universal Studios Hollywood, and that's February 17th, 2023. To be fair, Jim, we were told this date uh, in advance of it actually becoming public, but we couldn't say anything about it. Mm-hmm. But the, the interesting thing for us, I think, is yep. this. It's going to be the first time that we get to see the Mario Kart ride that's coming to Universal Orlando mm-hmm. in the United States. 
and this is this is augmented reality, right? You wear helmets. Uh, you do, you do. And, and by the way, I'm going to suggest that you know when we finish recording today, you reach out to our our mutual pal Drew Taylor, who just yesterday got a walkthrough of the Universal Hollywood. Oh, did he? Uh, nope. We were literally finishing up recording a brand new fine tuning, and he was walking out the door to go visit uh, Super Nintendo World. Drew's just been killing it lately. He's got some. He's got some stuff. He does. He does. You know. <laughs> And I'm not jealous. I really am not. You know, <laughs> I'm happy for him. I'm He's so happy, happy for him. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. You're just, you're, oh, uh, gosh, Drew. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Oh, here's my here's my question though, Bittis. Mm-hmm. One of the things that the press release mentioned mm-hmm. is the use of these things called power up bands. Yeah. In the land, which I guess are like vaguely like magic band pluses. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you'll be required to buy these power-up bands to fully enjoy everything in Super Nintendo World? We're kind of in the Harry Potter country here. I mean, you know, the, there were folks who were perfectly happy to go into the Wizarding World, walk around and look at things. On the other hand, there were the folks who need the robes, need the wands, need the scarf for their particular house. Uh, ah, and I, okay, I okay. will tell you from the footage in Japan of people using the power-up buttons where they literally need to leap into the air and and bang into a coin cube the folks who are doing it who are clearly fans of the game are so delighted to be doing in the real world what they've done for years in the game it's just sort of like you know again it's the philip j fry he's from money take it give give me a band you know just I, i i want that moment so do you think you'll need it or it'll be a nice to have I think, again, it depends on, on uh, you know, if you are, in fact, a longtime gamer. I mean, on the other okay. hand, I will tell you from watching the footage of the folks on YouTube, it's a lot of fun to watch people doing, especially the little kids who are three feet too short, who you know, sort of pivot to their parents like, lift me. <laughs> you know, I, I need to hit my wristband at the bottom of the coin cube. Let's go, you right. know, pops. <laughs> so. so you'll get a workout, too. There that's, we go. That's what I'm hearing there we this. go. All right. All right. So. Other uh, other news, our friend uh, Bethany Bemis's book is out. You can find uh, Disney theme parks and America's national narratives at your local bookmonger, as well as online at Amazon.com. I get my copy tonight, Jim, and we will have Bethany back on the show to talk about her book and the Smithsonian Museum of American History's upcoming Disney theme parks exhibit, which should open this spring. Super excited. Bethany texted me last night her unboxing video of the uh, of her book. It's always, it's always great when you... Uh, the, the first time you get a book with your name on it is is, is a special moment. So I'm very, uh, very happy for Bethany on that one. Yeah, super excited to look for the uh, for the book, too. As soon as I, we finish up here, I'll head to Amazon and order a copy of my own. So You can also get it on Kindle, too. You can download it instantly. What is this Kindle? I don't know that you speak? get the scratch and sniff stuff the, on well, no, Kindle. That's it exactly. I ordered the real book, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love a Kindle, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. basically, Kindle for me is like I'm... I'm reading on a plane, and I'm, I think I've told you this before. I'm going through all the Agatha Christie Are novels. you really? Yeah, I'm through 40 of them. Wow. They are kind of fantastic. Now that you've read 40 of them, and face it, Agatha Christie always plays fair. The, yeah. the clue is always out in the open. It's always yep. buried in the middle of a paragraph, about a third early, you know, the, 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 the first third. Yeah, some story. random throwaway line. Yeah. Have you begun? So, sometimes, yet? I, and I've noticed... You mentioned that because, like, lately when I'm reading them, mm. I am reading each line like it's the Talmud. <laughs> I'm like, what? What does she mean that she had cream with her with her coffee? What? Mm-hmm. What is? What's the significance of that? Like, you know, notes in the margins. <laughs> oh, 
no, I'd love to hear that. Because, again, as a constructionist, it's just sort of like, yep, on page 38, she mentioned the teaspoon. Right there. There we go. Right there. Right there. The thing that I love about it is, and I don't want to spoil uh, any of the books, mm-hmm. but there are variations on themes that, as far as I know, she was the first person to come up with. Like in Murder on the Orient Express, and mm-hmm. I, don't, I hope I'm not ruining the story for everyone, mm-hmm. but the fact that everyone did it yeah. <laughs> was, was kind of a great twist, right? Mm-hmm. One final question before we step off here. So do we have a favorite, Ms. Marple or Hercule Poirot? You know, I think the uh, uh, the was it the death of uh, Roger Ackroyd mm-hmm. is good. Uh, Murder on the Links, I thought was was fun. I mean, they're they're all good for different reasons. the The other thing I like is she'll occasionally throw a French phrase mm-hmm. in there, and I have to go look it up. And sometimes <laughs> it's sometimes it's a direct translation, but sometimes it's idiomatic French, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, I need to you know, I need to to remember this one. It's for oh. for later use with Laurel, like you know, like, uh, the the chocolate is not always in the sauce, or something like that. You know, so, <laughs> where can I use this phrase? That's yeah, yeah, funny. So. Right, and one final question: You're forty books in. How many more left? It, it, isn't it seventy, eighty? Yeah, it's, there's a lot. I, I think I'm about halfway through, and I've gone through all the short stories too, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Oh, and so I've cool. gone through some of the Miss Maples um, okay. stories as well, which I really like as well too, because they're relatively straightforward and it's a different character, and she's she's also fun. Okay, so, what a fun project! Holy yeah, cow. and I've gone through a um, and I and I mentioned this because for two reasons: one, uh, two years ago, I went through all of the Sherlock Holmes novels oh. and all of the short stories, and Sherlock Holmes is in the uh, public domain now, mm. which brings us to our uh, next topic, and mm. that's that Steamboat Willie enters the public domain, Jim, now uh, less than a year from now. Yeah. On January 1st, 2024. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the uh, the New York Times article on this? I did. I did. And in fact, interesting, Drew and I were just talking about this yesterday because think about it. In February of 2023, uh, we get Winnie the Pooh, the very first iteration of Winnie the Pooh that I, I want to say in A.A. Milne's The House of Pooh Corner slid into a public domain, which is why in February uh, we get our first Winnie the Pooh horror film, the Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. (laughs) I know, it's great. So, you know, it's it's one of these things where it's, you know, oh, great. I'm really looking forward to Steamboat Willie pull a knife on me. Well, uh, you know, I I, I was... We're, we're joking about this, but I really thought that like Steamboat Willie, uh, Vampire Hunter, <laughs> could be a franchise. Right? Oh, oh, remember, folks, those checks go to Len Testa. Well, a- Abraham Lincoln uh, was it? Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Yes. Was that the? Yes. Was that the movie? And, and, yeah. And, uh, which was actually again the weirdest thing. The gentleman who directed Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, bought Walt Disney's house. <laughs> of course he did. The one in um the one in Palm Springs. No, no, no. This is the one. It's the house that he made with uh, Snow White money. In fact, he he oh. he actually sold it uh, about fifteen years later when Diane began to drive, and it was just one of these things where it's like, wow, that's a really challenging driveway for a fifteen. We, we gotta we gotta get her somewhere safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you've made it, when you can relocate because your kid needs an easier drive. He has lovingly redecorated. I mean, again, all, all with Abraham Lincoln vampire killer money. Sure. But they still even have 
the kids' playhouse in the backyard that Walt oh, had nice. built that one Christmas Eve. You know, the girls went to bed, workmen from the studio showed up, built the house in the backyard. By the time Diane and Sharon woke up, brand new full-size kids' playhouse in the backyard, delivered wow. by Santa. And it's still in the backyard, lovingly restored. Nicest guy. Well, I mentioned the Steamboat Willie thing because, like, normally when a copyright expires, right, like they did for um, for Sherlock Holmes, it allows anyone yep. to use the character in their own works. Mm-hmm. But Steamboat Willie is different for a couple of reasons. And it's mainly because Disney employs a million lawyers, mm-hmm. right? So you would think that the copyright for Steamboat Willie, when when that's expired, people could use Steamboat Willie. The problem is, is that Disney also owns trademarks Mm -hmm. on the character's likeness. And Jim, you know this because at the beginning of every movie for like the past five or seven years, Mm -hmm. Steamboat Willie has been featured prominently in the Disney credits. Mm -hmm. And so there's this mix of the copyright plus also the trademark Mm -hmm. that creates sort of like a legal gray area that, Disney's advantage here is that they've got billions of dollars and tons of lawyers, and I'm not sure anyone is willing to see how far they can go with Steamboat Willie, right? So the interesting thing on this, though, is the Supreme Court has already said, Mm -hmm. and and here I'm quoting the always quotable Tony Scalia, Mm -hmm. who said that when you start mixing trademark and copyright, Mm -hmm. you end up with a species of mutant copyright law, Mm -hmm. and that patents and copyrights offered a carefully crafted bargain which is a temporary monopoly after which the public may use the invention or work at will and with attri- without attribution. But this is the issue, right? That if you start putting out Steamboat Willie cartoons, Disney lawyers will look at it and say, does this create confusion with the public? Now, if you did something, Jim, like mm-hmm. Steamboat Willie Vampire Hunter, I'm reasonably sure that people would not confuse anything that you did with, mm-hmm. with Disney putting that out. But if you wanted to do like the further adventures of Steamboat Willie, yeah. That that could be an issue. This has been confusing folks since the Sonny Bono Copyright Extension Act yeah. became effective back in October of 1998. You know, this has been, yeah. you know, and Disney's yeah. been we, which basically lawyers. delayed this problem and exacerbated it for the last 25 years. That's it exactly. So, now I really do want to see Steamboat Willie Vampire Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, know, we know enough people in the animation industry, Jim. We can make this happen. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, one last uh, thing. And speaking of new stuff, I want to give a shout out to, uh, to my developers, uh, David, Brad, and to Fred. Mm-hmm. That's touringplans.com. We updated the app over the holidays and the site to better support Genie Plus in the touring plans, including telling you which Genie Plus reservations will be the most helpful for mm-hmm. your specific day in the park. Um, it's always super stressful to release code over Christmas. It's like saying, watch this right before you throw a Frisbee. But this one went really well. And we had a couple of minor issues, but uh, but they were resolved pretty quickly. So uh, hats off to uh, David, Brad, and Fred for getting that done. I am actually impressed that you, you guys opted to do this over the Christmas week. I mean, what's the yeah. old adage? You don't build your church for Easter Sunday. So you, you launched this code the yeah. busiest week of, of the year at the parks. Holy cow. Yeah, so we did it a couple of days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. The good thing is, is Guy Selga, who works for us, mm-hmm. has extensive experience. Before he came to us, he was actually a software tester professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so Guy's been testing the heck out of this. The, uh, the A couple of issues that we had were sort of edge cases that were resolved fairly quickly. Okay. Um, so we had it. The, uh, but the other thing is, is we're completely redoing the website and we want to launch that this week. And so we didn't, I didn't want to do both of those things at once. <sighs> 
Okay. Yeah, because that would have been that would have been crazy. This is the equivalent of testing a lighter on the Hindenburg. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One thing at a time. I mean, there's still there's still stuff that we can fix on it, right? I mean, there's I'm sure there's stuff that people will write in and suggest for uh, for improvements. But absolutely. Uh, yeah. Anyway, happy oh, wow. to get that uh, first big release out. Very impressive. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, we'll get time to do listener questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friend Paul writes in to say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched the National Geographic TV show tonight about the building of the Disney Wish. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend this. It's very interesting to anyone who involved in large engineering design or construction projects. And there are amazing behind the green wall views and interviews with Imagineers. Jim, have you seen this yet? I have not. We've got a DVR at the house. And it, it is one of these things where it's like I'm trying to carve out an hour or so just to sit down and watch it because I, I had a friend who was on site in the shipyard and he he told this amazing story about you know you, you're there and there were three giant cruise ships inside of this building that are that are being worked on and every so often you would hear the German phrase that basically said hold in place you know and everyone does they just freeze where they are and you look up and there was a football-sized piece of steel traveling directly over your head. And it, yeah. <laughs> it was very humbling to go into work every day and get, constantly get reminded, I could squash you like a bug. Exactly. <laughs> Have I invited the gentleman operating the crane to my Christmas party? There we go. There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, also, a couple of people wrote in with comments about my counting of people using the lightning lane at Space Mountain. Uh, Mary pointed out two things. Mm -hmm. Number one, Space Mountain is not an individual lightning lane. Jim, I don't know what I was thinking there. Uh, That was, and uh, that's true because the only ILL Mm -hmm. in uh, the Magic Kingdom is Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. So it was a long week. That's what I'm going with. Also, uh, and a couple of people, including Morgan, pointed this out, mm-hmm. that uh, DAS service isn't intended for people with mobility issues. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there are a lot of people who use DAS who have non-apparent concerns who uh, uh, need DAS. So it's you can't just count wheelchairs. Okay. And, uh, okay, so I, I get that. Mm-hmm. The thing I was trying to figure out was, and I should have done this at Seven Doors Mine Train, mm-hmm. was, was how many people are actually paying the extra. So I'll go back and do that uh, next week sometime. Okay, well, 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 thanks for sharing that info and, and putting yeah, out the there. Okay. Also, Jim, uh, we talked on last week's show mm-hmm. about the Cirque du Soleil show Drawn to Life, mm-hmm. and a ton of folks wrote in about their experiences mm-hmm. uh, with this show. So Steph wrote in and said, I went to Drawn to Life at Disney Springs in September, mm-hmm. booked a ticket fairly last minute, and I chose a ticket in the lowest priced bracket. But she was surprised to see that it was actually quite close to the stage. The show wasn't sold out, which was a surprise mm-hmm. because she thinks everything at Walt Disney World is oversubscribed. Mm-hmm. But they did a lovely job of tying the Disney theme in to animation. And the cast were super wonderfully talented. Mm-hmm. So she says it was definitely worth it. Okay, cool. And this is a sort of a theme that we uh, we get from almost everyone. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably 80% of the emails that we got. And we got a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of emails. I would say 80% of them thought the show was good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Caroline wrote in and says she saw the show in July. It was a birthday present, mm-hmm. but the prices made her eyes water. <laughs> okay. her, uh, her husband has never seen any other Cirque du Soleil show mm-hmm. and is a new Disney convert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caroline said that she'd seen La Nuba. Mm-hmm. Her husband loved it. Uh, by, and while it was entertaining and clever in terms of linking in the Disney creative process, mm-hmm. She says, and this is a quote, it really had most of the show being more of the weird French-Canadian creepy acting <laughs> that you used to have as a minor background storyline. This is, this, see, 
Caroline, uh, just uh, as, a, as a hint here, if you use the phrase um, bendy French people, everyone <laughs> understands what you, what you mean by that. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Also, Caroline said that the theater was only around one-fourth full mm. and that she suspects the show won't last all that long. Mm. Tyler said that uh, he went in uh, and said the performers are amazing. Mm-hmm. Is it worth $85? It is to support the performers because they do things that I can only dream of. Again, bendy French people. Mm-hmm. Roger said uh, the show was very good. There's a Walt Disney-inspired character mm-hmm. who's not named, who later, later does some great gymnastics. And I'm not sure that Walt actually did this in Marceline. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he just he just scurried up the, the, the dreaming tree and then jumped from branch to branch. It was amazing. <laughs> that was great. Veronica wrote in to say that she bought tickets for her mom and stepdad. Mm-hmm. And she says, it looks like I paid around $126 per ticket, mm-hmm. but I paid $320 per ticket for Hamilton during the Omicron surge in New York. Mm-hmm. So $126, including taxes, was a bargain. That's okay. true, actually. Less, mm-hmm. than, uh, less than half price. And then our friend Craig, who mm-hmm. was at our live event in December, Jim, you met him. He's from Canada. I did. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Went to see Drawn to Life mm-hmm. after seeing our podcast. Mm-hmm. And Jim, I'm not sure that that's a fair comparison mm-hmm. because you dressed up in a pink bunny suit. I, I and Cirque du Soleil really doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, Craig mm-hmm. uh, said that he has seen a handful of other Cirque shows, mm-hmm. that his wife had tears in her eyes for more than one scene, that technology was draw dropping, and to a layperson like his wife, she couldn't believe some of the technology elements and how it added to the show. Mm-hmm. To them, it's a don't miss experience. So yeah, I think generally speaking, people really like it, okay. but it, it doesn't seem to be crowded. I'm a little concerned about that may not last long. So I think very next time down in Orlando, I'm going to check this out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. In fact, I might, uh, I might try and get to it uh, uh, over the next month or so, especially if it's not that crowded. I'm not, uh, I'm not big in crowds and friend, uh, bendy French people at the same time. So <sighs> have you ever seen any, uh, any of the shows in Vegas? You know, I would do the licensing show every year in Vegas for, for a number of years. And I wanted to do both as an article and as an experience. You know, to try to do all of the Cirque shows in... Holy cow, in, really? In, yeah, because remember at one point there were as many as seven different Cirque shows. Seven, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I could never get the planets to align. And, you know, in fact, I, I was sort of eyeballing whether or not to return to Vegas sometime in the coming year. and just sort Oh, of let me know when you want to go. I'll, I, I'm there. You and I will go to Vegas together. <sighs> oh, okay. We, I, should, I, we should do a show where we tour the... Um, where we tour the uh, the resorts on the strip because okay. that's that's nothing but spectacle okay all right did i ever tell you about the game that laurel and i play when we're going through we try and find the most offensive slot machine theme <laughs> like like you know really buxom native americans uh you know looking aside at wolves like oh god that's horrible like what you know you try and like come up with like what's the story mm-hmm. that the slot machine artwork is trying to convey mm-hmm well, again, I actually bury the needle in the other way. I, I tend to go through and see you license the Beverly Hillbillies for, for a slot right. machine. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I want to channel Jethro. Well, let me let me sit down. And- <laughs> okay, so that's that's a goal. We'll find the most uh, most obscure licensing that we uh, we can find. There we go. Oh, it, it sounds like a plan. All right, let me know when you want to go. We'll do it. And we're going to we're going out to California in March, right? We are. We are. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll talk more oh about that. Vegas. Show. <laughs> Vegas, maybe. We could actually fly into Vegas and then drive to California. All right, we'll talk about this off- offline. This will be great. Okay. <laughs> All right. On next week's show, we got a ton of email around uh, the question about why the parks have been so busy. Mm -hmm. uh, And we will talk about that on next week's show. And right now we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim gives us the history of Epcot's World of Motion attraction, which closed on this day 
back in 1996. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How many of you are familiar with the concept of January? With the idea here being that after you spent this past holiday season trying to make your friends and family happy, now that it's the first month of the new year, it's now time to concentrate on whatever it is that makes you happy. Jan, you, Ari, get it? Of course, it's one thing to think about doing something like this, uh, putting your own needs first, and quite another to then actually do that. Because who knows, maybe at this exact moment in your life, you're feeling stuck or bogged down or, or just plain overwhelmed. If this is the way you're feeling these days, like you just can't get out of your own way, well, maybe it's time you considered talking with a therapist. And if you're thinking about giving therapy a try, well, BetterHelp is a great option. By that, I mean it's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. And to get matched with a licensed therapist, all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire. More importantly, if things just aren't clicking between you two, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if this January, you want to enhance your coping skills or just get better at setting boundaries, consider BetterHelp. I mean, if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DizzyDish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DizzyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Okay, it's the start of a new year, which is when, typically, we all make resolutions that we never actually keep, like, let's say, losing 50 pounds or getting started on the Great American Novel. So instead of doing that in 2023, why not try tackling a goal that is actually achievable, like, say, managing your budget better and saving money? And if that sounds like something you'd really like to do in the new year, then let me tell you about Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. And the way they do this is, well, over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about like that streaming service you bought just so you could watch that one specific show or maybe that free trial that you never actually used. In my own case, because I have to do so much research for all of the stories that I share with Lenovo and Disney Dish, I'm constantly signing up to gain access to some newspaper's online archive. And because Rocket Money now helps me identify the subscriptions I'm no longer using, well, I can finally stay on top of those bills. And the beauty part is, Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. Simply find the subscriptions you don't want and press cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. So why not start 2023 by doing something smart? Stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash DisneyDish. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash DisneyDish. One more time for the people in the back, rocketmoney.com slash DisneyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. All right, Jim, I can't believe we were talking about this before the, the show, uh, before we started recording. I can't believe we've never actually done a show 
on World of Motion. We've talked at length about the attraction that replaced World of Motion. In fact, that was originally supposed to open in May of 97, and due to issues that we get to, that then didn't open till March of 99. That one was a challenge getting out the gate, but I was in the park January 2nd, 1996, the very last night this attraction, the Future World Attraction was operating. And I wasn't there because I especially liked this attraction. The, the park had revealed in March of 1995 that it would be closing. In fact, to, to put the cherry on the Sunday here, Len, I, again, I, I'm that rare person that when I see somebody with a clipboard at Disney, I run toward them, not away from right. them. Because you get to do cool things. And in this case, in the summer of 1995, I saw somebody standing outside of World Motion with a clipboard, walked up to them, and they said, hi, would you like to come be part of a focus group about the new ride we're, we're considering building here at Future World? And sure enough, they took me and a bunch of other guests upstairs to the GM conference site, uh, or the corporate uh, uh, lounge. Uh, they shoved us into a conference room and then showed us a video all about Test Track and asked our opinions and, and even gave me $40 in Disney dollars on my way out. Wow, there you go. But anyway, I was there because I was a theme park nerd and I, I wanted to have bragging rights to say I was the, the last civilian to ride this particular attraction. And Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm pathetic, Len. Let's, let's just cut to the chase. But there was someone equally pathetic with me that night. There was another theme park nerd who was also dawdling at the entrance of World of Motion. In fact, Len, I'm, I'm going to float a theory here. I think it was by a reconstruct. <laughs> who else would, would want this honor you know and so, so the two of us are are dawdling at the, the the entrance of the attraction doing the after you my dear friend you know, spit. you know you first no you first after you after you and finally the cast member who's working at the turnstile is like girls you're both pretty all right but i have a chain in my hand which i'm putting across this entrance in 30 seconds so one of you idiots decide who's going to be last and I looked at the guy, and he, he looked like he really wanted it. So, all right, fine, you be last. So we hop on the Omnimover, which, remember, the Omnimover is uh, two rows, set six people at a time, and, you know, started my trip into the attraction. And how well do you remember uh, World of Motion, Len? Uh, pretty well. So the big thing I remember is you're in, like, a, uh, you're in a, a relatively small ride vehicle. Mm -hmm. It's an Omnimover. Um, and the big thing I remember is the ramp that kind of brings you outside for a little bit. There we go. There we go. That is that. And the, then it's a ton of animatronics, right? Oh my God, yes. In fact, General Motors was the very first corporation to officially sign on as a sponsor of a future world pavilion. This was in 1978. And at this time, what Disney revealed is that GM would be sponsoring this theme park's transportation pavilion. And the word that came down from the GM executives is this has to be the biggest. This has to be the best. So it's it's a 65 foot tall building. In fact, that corkscrew type thing that you describe, you, you know, you boarded on the lower level, you went up the corkscrew and then on the second floor of this 320 diameter building, which again was round because it's shaped like a wheel because we're telling the story of transportation. But the, the basically the entire attraction happens on the the second floor of the building and then you spiral down to the lower level where you get you are in the trans center where you get the robot and the bird show and the water engine film and project 2000 and and all that sort of stuff but today we're, right. we're talking about the right and yes len you just mentioned all sorts of 
of animatronics and GMs, you know, marching orders to the Imagineer was biggest, best. So for example, Pirates of the Caribbean in California has 75 animatronic figures. World of Motion okay. has 150. Oof. The, the track that the Omnimover follows in Disneyland's Haunted Mansion is 960 feet long. The Omnimover track that World of Motion follows is 1,700 feet wow, long. Wow, so almost, uh, so like 80% uh, more. Mm -hmm. But it just got silly after a while. It was like guest experience, the Anaheim version of Small World. They get a 14-minute long ride experience. And that's a slow-moving boat ride. That's a slow-moving boat ride. So, you know, the folks at GM are like, we still have to be longer. So <laughs> World of Motion is 14 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> I mean, this is back when Epcot rides were longer, oh, and when when yeah. they made, they made the assumption that they could hold mm -hmm. people's attentions for uh, attention for nearly fifteen minutes. Yeah, and, and good luck with that today. But GM, I, and remember, this is when Roger Smith, uh, who was the chairman and CEO of General Motors from from eighty one to, to nineteen ninety, yeah, he's writing the check. So you know, it's just like has to be the biggest, has to be the best. But GM initially couldn't decide what it wanted uh, executives there said initially told disney okay we want a serious look back at the history of transportation that's what the managers do they fill rooms in glendale with storyboards and models and then it comes time to show these to the executives so they put, truck everything out to warren michigan they get the GM's design center and they fill room after room there with you know, with the models and the the art and they do this elaborate presentation for the, the board of directors. And the very first note that the Imagineers get <laughs> back from GM is like, this is so serious. <laughs> you know, it's like, isn't this supposed to be going into a Disney theme park? People are going to be bored with this. Can't, can't we sponsor something fun instead? General Motors saying people are going to be sport bored by this. Wow, that's 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 something. Especially the uh, the Roger Smith era GM saying oh, people are going to be God, bored by yeah. this. Get Oof, <laughs> that's criticism. No, 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 absolutely. So, all right. So the Imagineers. So, wait, again, so, so Jim, what was the, what was the original concept for it? If it was boring, was it like it here's the history of the technical development of automobiles? When it started off, it was the history of transportation. Oh, sort of like uh, Spaceship Earth is the history of communication. Oh, no, that's it exactly. And I guess that was the other issue as well. It was a series of being there for special moments in history, you know, the, the development of the wheel and, and that sort of thing. And it they're was, gonna pass over the, the entire uh, Ford Motor Company well. uh, history. <laughs> and, and then General Motors was born. <laughs> We're going to go from the history of the wheel to General Motors, right? <laughs> Skipping over Mercedes and... Uh, you remember, the version of Epcot was very much like that. Remember how, for example, when the Japanese pavilion that was going to go, the Meet the World show, in that attraction, World War II happened off stage. Yeah. So anyway, at this point, Imagineering is like, okay, they want fun. We want fun. Okay, we need somebody fun. Go get Ward Kimball. Oh, there you go. Okay. Okay, now now these days, most people know Ward Kimball is the guy who animated Jiminy Cricket in the original yep. hand-drawn version of Disney's Pinocchio. Likewise, as the visionary behind those early um, Man in Space uh, episodes of the Disney TV show from the 1950s. But in-house at Disney, Ward was known for his very irreverent sense of humor and his outrageous pranks. And have you ever heard the story about when Ward went to like all of the used clothing stores around LA and for like months bought up pairs of pants and shoes? No. Oh, 
Okay, why? <laughs> okay, well, picture this. One morning, Ward goes into work early, like really early, like 3 o'clock in the morning. And he's got, okay. you know, these pairs of pants. He's got these pairs of shoes. He's also got bundles of newspaper. And he now goes to every bathroom in the animation building. And <laughs> in each of the toilet stalls, he first stuffs the pants and then positions the shoes at the bottom of each leg of the, the pair of pants and positions them on the toilet so it looks like... Oh, so it looks like someone's using the stall. Someone's using the stall. All right. And then with a key that he had stolen from the janitor down the Disney lot, he locks the toilet door. <laughs> Oh, that's not funny. <laughs> Does he bring in uh, prune muffins and coffee for breakfast on the same day? <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that end of it, but he he does every single toilet stall in the animation building by six o'clock in the morning. They're all they're all loaded and they're all occupied, and and then Ward just sits back and watches the fun. <laughs> His coworkers are becoming increasingly uncomfortable they, throughout they the day. Go. Lots of folks scurry across the way to the commissary. But anyway, that's that's was kind of you know Ward's take on the world, and so he started at Disney in 1935. He retires from the company in '73, but regularly gets hauled in uh, as a consultant on special projects up until 1980, and then until we lost him. In uh, July of 2002, I mean, Ward regularly came back to the, the company and worked on projects. So it's in this window of time, 78, 79, that they call Ward and they bring him in to look at, you know, the early take on transportation of Pavilion. And he's, he's eyeballing it. And it's like, well, well, look, there's nothing really wrong with what you've done here. It, it is a history of transportation, but you want people to connect with the material. So you need to create moments of commonality. So it's like, oh. all right, how about everybody in their day-to-day -day life? They drive past used car lots. They go through toll booths. Uh, they get yep. caught in traffic jams. What if, as part of this attraction, you take us to the world's first traffic jam or you you take it oh okay okay you know and in fact I, I and i can tell you by the way len from personal conversation with ward the toll booth idea ward flat out admitted he stole well affectionately lifted from blazing saddles oh the uh the horse uh, toll booth scene there we go you know the, the william j lepetame memorial throughway you know in the middle of the desert <laughs> So, you know, Ward loved that scene. So it's like, that's going in. Somehow that's going in. The only downside of having Ward Kimball be in charge of the transportation pavilion is Ward was, was a transportation history buff. I mean, for example, in the backyard of his house and in San Gabriel, California, Len, he operated the Grizzly Flats Railroad. This was a full-size steam train that traveled on a 500-foot loop track through the the orange groves at the back of Ward's property. And and it and in fact, people used to fight for invitations to get invited to a steam up at, at Ward's house because it's like it was a full-size train, and you, you know it yeah. was a really cool way to spend the day. But Ward, because he was such a stickler for getting it right. It was like, we have to have the right props. We have to have the right costumes. We have to have the right vehicles. And General Motors has no problem with this. Again, Roger Smith is writing the checks. So it's a situation where the Imagineers are sending, I, I, I want to say this would have been Pat Burke who, do, who chased down a lot of the vehicles. For example, a lot of the props that are out in front of the various big thunders around the world. They, right, and that's actual mining equipment. That's it, exactly. So that Pat... 
with the the imaginary checkbook went out in search of authentic stage coaches to be used for example in the holdup scene in this thing and he he mm. found a wells fargo an actual wells fargo wagon out in phoenix arizona uh, found two more up in northern california had each of these hauled back to glendale and lovingly restored at great expense wow that that's a uh, that's a dedication to uh, to realism or authenticity oh, and they're just getting started len the props in this building all 3375 of them kimball was obsessed about it had <sighs> to be right for example, there's that scene set in the bicycle shop where you, you see a man working in supposedly the first horseless carriage. Every tool in that garage space was authentic for the period. This is how Epcot ended up uh, costing twice as much as they originally thought. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. It was worth it. Absolutely. But at the same time, what didn't help here is the executives at GM are still competitive. For example, they, they weren't out of the attraction. And one of the executives on, on the board raises his hand and goes, I, I love the Haunted Mansion. You know that thing you do at the end where you can see the ghost in the car? Can we do an effect like that? Oh, with GM cars. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. so they, they actually, now, now the mind you is the, you know, the idea is at one point you, you look to your left and you see a Pepper's Ghost effect and you're now in a bubble-shaped car of the future. Right. Likewise, there was another executive of the company who loved the speed tunnel effect in Eastern Airlines if you had wings. And it's like, ooh, can, can we do that in World of Motion, only bigger and better? And so the Imagineers, well, sure, okay. We'll put three speed tunnels back to back. But in the final speed tunnel to serve as the transition point to the, the city of the future scene, it was the very first time they used CG in a Disney park. Really? Yeah. Now, mind you, once you got got into the actual center core, that was what the, the city of the future was called. Remember, you looked out at a lot of fiber optics, a lot of liquid neon, and <laughs> but the specific note from GM at the, for this point is, this section should hint at possible future transportation systems without getting into specifics about actual you know technologies. Yeah, because it'll it'll change too fast. That's right. Yeah, so it's it. a, uh, suggest something. This reminds me, though, of the 64 World's Fair Ford exhibit. Didn't that end with a like transportation system of the future, a city of the future as well? We're, we're, are we cribbing notes here? I want to say yes, but the weird part of it is, remember, the pre-show for the Magic Skyway, they actually had, for example, orchestras that were made out of car parts. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just sort of fascinating to watch how two companies... It's like, how do we showcase what we do best? And Ford, right up front, is like, show off our stuff toward the front. Whereas the load area for uh, World of Motion, it right. was this kind of fascinating 3D audio thing. For example, you would hear a steam train start in one quarter of the building and literally pass over your head and disappear on the horizon. It was, oh. you know, and, and, and at the same time, also remember, because they were trying to be 1980s funny, like the narrator of, of this attraction was L.A. disc jockey Gary Owens, which those of you who remember the old laughing show on NBC, he was he was the announcer. Right, that's where the voice comes from. Yeah, there yeah. we go. But anyway, I, it's standard post-show area where eventually you actually get to you know a brand new GM car, and you yep. you know for example you get to see the wind tunnel where you see where you know how they test to make sure that their new cars have the least wind resistance and get the best gas mileage. But as always, Len, remember when people came on board. 
for a future World Poverty Union, the corporation signed a deal that said, after 10 years, you have to come back in and update this pavilion. You know, this is the future world. We have to see futuristic stuff. Right. So if we jump ahead to 1992, Disney goes and, and meets with the folks at GM and they're like, this has been fun and we've enjoyed this, but your ride vehicle travels at 1.8 feet per second. And yeah. we want something faster. We want something that excites people. And so could we maybe look at doing a thrill ride? And they're willing to put up the money for it. There we go. There we go. Wow. And, and the Imagineers were so thrilled to hear this. It's just, they immediately turned to Disney management and said, we're going to need time to do this. And so the project doesn't officially get announced till November of 1995. So three plus years. But during those three plus years, a lot of the, the maintenance line on the World of Motion ride got deferred because the notion of, well, you know, you understand once everybody signs off on this thrill ride, we're shutting this thing down, we're gutting Shut the building down, and yes. putting it's, the thrill ride. Yeah. Probably what we're seeing for these last couple of weeks with Splash Mountain. There we go. There yeah. we go. And speaking of which, we now go back to the, the, the night of January 2nd, 1996. So again, I'm in my Omnimover. <laughs> that theme park nerd who, who's going to have the bragging rights to be the last civilian to ride this thing. And the very thing you described, Len, you know, the little corkscrew that you go up the front of the building and then hit into first show scene. We have to be 10 feet away from that moment of the ride. I can even see the glowing footprints okay. as you enter that tunnel to, you know, the, the, the first caveman, you know, blows on his feet because he's tired of walking. And at that moment, we're, we're just about to enter the first show scene. And I hear this god-awful metal grind, grinding noise. And oh. the Omnimover stops, stop moving. And we sit there, and remember, you're outside, and this is January yeah. in Florida, in the dark, and it's cold. And eventually, this cast member shows up at the side of the vehicle and turns the key, and the door is open, and he says, "Okay, get out, <laughs> get out. This isn't this isn't happening for you." <laughs> he explains, "Look, the ride system is broken, and since demolition of the attraction begins tomorrow, and Epcot has already closed for the evening, because remember that theme park nerd and I were jockeying." for position to who would be the last on the ride. So it's 8.59 when the park closes at 9 that we're, we're getting on the yeah. ride. Yeah, they're not They're not going to try and fix this for no, you. No, that's exactly it. We're not calling maintenance. Get off. You know, and they, so there will be no more world of motion. But the theme park nerd is in the Omni River behind me. So he actually oh. exits the attraction before me. So, again, I know it's pathetic bagging, bragging rights, but I was the last civilian walked off of world of motion. Were you really? I was, I was. It, it's pathetic bragging on the rights, but I'll take them. Just to circle back again, though, folks, like I said earlier, Len and I previously have talked about GM Test Track and what it took to turn World of Motion into that thrill ride. And more to the point, the, the almost two years that uh, it took to sort of straighten out the tech issues with that. And it's a fun set of shows. Go check those out. Yeah, the uh, the the history of uh, Test Track in and of itself, uh, that that development is is super interesting. The the thing that I always loved about World of Motion, uh, so a couple of things. One was their the number of animatronics in it, but number two, have we ever talked about the history of the "It's Fun to Be Free" song? Uh, oh, the Sherman Brothers. Yeah. All right. So the so a, a quick recap for for our new listeners. There's a song that went with the World of Motion. Mm -hmm attraction called it's fun to be free so it's fun to be free to be on the move all right and you heard the song 
throughout the attraction. Mm -hmm. But you also heard the song played without lyrics in places like in the bathrooms and, you know, in other parts of, of the, of the attraction. It's also in background music out in front of the attraction, Mm -hmm. but to make it less monotonous, Disney recorded dozens of versions of this song Mm -hmm. in different musical styles. So for example, and, and, and Jim, I, I think you and I have talked about this. I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but we've talked about it individually, mm-hmm. that they basically hired a bunch of uh, music student interns one summer and said, go record this in as many musical styles as you can. So like there is a jazz version of It's Fun to Be Free. There's a Greek version of It's Fun to Be Free. There, there are all kinds of versions of It's Fun to Be Free. And Audio collectors, like theme park audio collectors like me, will try and re- try and get all of the different versions of the song. And I think, did Disney ever release them on the old Disneyland Forever? I will have to look into that. My absolute favorite version is the Spike Jones version that features gunshots and sneezing. They covered the waterfront with every possible music style of it. It, It's fun to be free, but to bring things full circle, again, this is another one of those crazy GM executive notes that Imagineering had to deal with. It's like, oh, we want a catchy theme song like Small World. Hire the guys who did that. And and that's the thing. They reach out to the Sherman Brothers and go, okay, history of transportation, go. (laughs) You know, come up with the song. All right. So I, I have... I have these versions mm-hmm. of It's Fun to Be Free. Okay. I have the 1960s beach version. <laughs> I have the Roaring Twenties version. Okay. I have the Broadway version. Mm-hmm. I have the Charleston version, the Cool Jazz, <laughs> the Da Vinci version, the Dixieland version, the Egyptian version, Greek, the Hoedown version, the Jazz Waltz, <laughs> the Kazoo version, the Old West version, a Picnic version, a Roman version, a soft shoe version, mm-hmm. and then something called tack piano. So how many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 15. I have 18 versions of the uh, of the song. Wow. And when you think that the attraction had 22 scenes. Oh, you mentioned that because I have, um, I have 22 individual scene background files as well. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Again, it just shows you how much money GM was willing to throw at this. Yeah, give them credit. Damn. You know, whatever you think of the attraction, they were willing to put up mm-hmm. put up the money to try something new. So good for them. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, great show. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And we've just started a series on Walt Disney's 300 plus page FBI file. So, you know, something that'll get you through the holidays and beyond. On next week's show, Jim gives us the history of Disneyland's mind train through nature's wonderland ride. And that's important because we just found some video of that that has never before been posted. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be giving guided bird walks and showing his greater roadrunner meep meep at the 2023 Winter Bird and Bat Festival on Saturday, January 14th, 2023 at the Rio Grande Nature Center at Rio Grande Nature State Park in beautiful downtown Albuquerque, New Mexico. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.